If you've got a Bible, if you'd open up to John uh, chapter 13, I'll get there in just a second. But as you're making your way over to John 13, um, rather than <clears throat> preaching a sermon on on serving, which is the topic for today, we thought we would actually just tell a story about serving uh, firsthand perspective from someone who is actually served by our Savior, Jesus. And so uh, we'll get to that in just a second. We're working our way through a partnership series, which means that we're actually looking at what the leadership of the church looks like. We did that um, a few Sundays ago, and we did that across the couple of nights of our uh, seminar that we recently held on the church. And so then uh, from moving from our leadership of the church, now we're looking at what it means to be a member of a local church. And for member, we use the word partner. And so we've tethered that to some some uh, verbs of being and some verbs of doing because we believe that actually being a partner um, in the ministry together, not just the pastors, but we were all in partnership together, says something about as much about who we are as what we do. And so um, as we look at serving, because we've already looked at living together in community, that was last week, we looked at giving together in a spirit of generosity, not just giving to Anchor Church, but just what it means to be people who are generous in general. We're going to do the same kind of thing today as we talk about serving, not just um, what it means to serve or presenting you with a one-off opportunity to serve, but looking at the way that our master and savior Jesus served us. And so I'm going to hand it off now to um, a, a, an apostle. Um, his name is Peter, and he'll be actually taking us through uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. So would you come for us? Shalom. My name is Simon Bar-Jonah. That's Hebrew for Simon, son of Jonah. I'm also called Simon Peter. But my favorite name is Peter. It's the nickname Jesus gave to me. It's so good to be here with you today. I love preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And I love this facility. This is amazing. Do you guys own this building or does this belong to the city? This is amazing. It reminds me of the time when I preached to a multitude of people. And that day, 3,000 people got saved. Can you imagine that? That's like this Sandler Center filled three times. This is what I do. So I'm glad. You know, when Jesus, when he appeared in public, he always appeared for the majority in public places. We didn't really hang out in synagogues. He wanted to be where the people were at, so in the marketplace. So it blesses me to see that your church, that Anchor Church, is following the way of Jesus and the apostles. Yes, I am an apostle. That means that I was personally commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to serve and to proclaim the good news about the kingdom. I also have another nickname. It's the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. Yeah, do you think that's funny? I don't think that's funny. What people don't know, because people make fun of me all the time. You know, I've read your books. I've seen what you say about me. But let me tell you something. The reason why I'm always talking is because I was designated as a spokesperson for the group. I mean, Jesus picked me. I'll prove it to you. There's four times in scripture where all the apostles are listed by name. I'm listed first all four times. You know why? Because I was designated the leader of all the 12. So I'm just saying what the guys are thinking anyways. You have someone like that in your group? I'm just speaking my mind. You know, I'm, 
I'm extroverted, I'm intuitive, I'm a feeler and a perceiver. That's how God made me. I'm also a, a loyalist. I've always been all in. Ever since I was a kid, I've, I've been the one to just jump into something. I remember, I remember the first time I, I met Jesus, it was on the Sea of Galilee. I'm also a businessman, so I own a business with my brother and my partners, James and John. But we had been hanging out on the Sea of Galilee where we make our money, or we try to make the money before Rome steals it from us. But in any case, I was there, and this one time, Jesus wanted to get in my boat. And so he, the crowd was pressing against him, and he said, hey, hey, uh, Peter, yeah, oh no, he was time he said Simon he said let me let me see your boat and I said okay who is this guy he said I heard he's a carpenter well whatever he wanted to get in my boat so he can step back a little bit from the water and his voice just would project over the water and teach all these people so I did and we're sitting there and he turns to me and we mind you we've been fishing all night like I am smoked we were cleaning our nets and he goes I want you to put out into deep water and I'm a fisherman, you know, this is, this is my area of expertise. We had heard he was a carpenter. So I'm thinking, who is this guy telling me to, yes, yes, master, we'll, we'll put them out. So just the humor, I'm gonna grab the nets that I just finished cleaning. And we got into deep water and I didn't, I, I was like, we're not gonna catch anything. First of all, you have to fish at night, not during the day. So it's everything contrary to what I've ever learned about fishing. We threw our nets in the water. My brother was right next to me, and James and John, and he were both in. And so I'm just humoring him like this, right? Carpenter telling me to go fish. And then I could feel life in the ropes. You know, and then they started tugging, like, and the next thing you know, like the nets were full, and we were going nuts. Like my brother and I were like, dude, get the fish in the boat. And, and then our boat started to sink. This was amazing. And then we got all the fish in the boats and it was just, we couldn't fit anymore. We had to pull the nets up and throw them on. And, and it was at that moment, you know, I had been hanging out with Jesus for about a year. It was about one year and it finally hit me. And I dropped to my knees and I, and I said, Lord, go away from me for I'm a sinful man. And with this gentle look, Jesus looks at me like this and he says, don't be afraid. From now on, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So check this out. We pulled our boats up on shore, and I just had this conviction. I just, I'm following this guy all the way to the end. I was, I was a curious disciple before, but now I'm committed. I left everything. I left everything to follow Jesus. Has anybody in here done that before? It was nerve-wracking. Like, I just left the nets, left the boat, and then, because I'm a leader, my brother, Andrew, followed. And then we walked by uh, James and John's boat, and they were cleaning their nets with their dad, and, and then I'm like, brothers, come on, let's go. Because these are the sons of thunder, Jesus called them. Let's go, we're going to follow Jesus. You see this miracle? And you should have seen the look on their dad's face. He's like, where are, you, where are you guys going? And the four of us just left. We were the first group of disciples to go with Jesus. And from then on, from then on, I've been sold out for Jesus. Mind you, I've, I've had my moments of doubt. I'm sure you've talked about those. But for the most part, I was all in. And it was an intense 
three years of ministry. I mean, people arguing with us. And Jesus, I noticed when it dealt with when he dealt with uh, sinners and tax collectors and the people who were really outcasts of society, Jesus was so, so tender and so gentle. The only time I saw him riled up was, was when he dealt with the church people, the religious people in the synagogues, people who thought they were better than everybody else. But we were all in. And I see there's a lot of children here as well. Jesus loves children. It was one time we told him, hey, these kids are making too much noise. Put them in the back room and, and put some entertainment on for them. And Jesus said, no, bring them. bring them here. Jesus loves you kids. He loves everybody. I want to tell you the story about my last night with Jesus. I mean, think about this. Think about this. Three years of intense ministry, like going from town to town, and people threatening to kill Jesus. And, and this one time they tried to throw him off the cliff, but he just, he just evaded them. And that was after his first sermon. And then the whole night shifts in this last 24 hours together. The week before that, uh, it, was, it was just before the Passover feast. And you know Passover. You know how important that is to us Jews. It, it's my personal favorite holiday. It's, it's when Hashem, it's when God had delivered his people from bondage in Egypt and he spared us. So, so we take a week to prepare this feast and then for another eight days we celebrate this feast. This feast is a big deal. And it was just before Jesus had told me and my brother, he said, I want you guys to prepare for this feast. And go into town and find a man at the entrance of the city holding a pitcher of water. Like, he always did this to us. Like, how do you know this stuff, Jesus? And so sure enough, we went to the city, and we found a man with water, and we followed him into a room. And then Jesus told us, when you see the owner of the, of the house, tell him that my teacher wants to find a room to celebrate Passover. And like, to a T, to a T, Jesus nails it. We find the guy with the water, and then we find the room, and we say, Rabbi wants to use this room for Passover. And so it was fully furnished, and we had that room. So now let me take you back. As we're walking into the room, we just got done getting an argument. Me, me, and, the, me and the other 12. I know, it's embarrassing, but God always includes all of our mess in, in the scripture as well. I wish he didn't, but he always includes all the mess as well. I think so that you know it's real and it's not made up. Anyways, we get in a fight about who's the greatest. But as we walk into this upper room, the, the tone is, like I said, it just shifted. I'm watching Jesus' face, and he's, he's, he's tender, and he's contemplating his last night with us. This would be the last time we ever assembled as, as the 12. It would be the last meal we ever had together. And that night, we sat down in a table, and let me, let me just paint the picture for you. It's not like, I saw a painting one time of the Last Supper. I think it was by a guy named Da Vinci and they're sitting at a table. That's not how it looked at all. Let me tell you how it looked. It was like a rug like this, right? And we, would, we were laying down like this with, with uh, pillows. And there was a square-shaped table. And at our meal, Jesus would act as like the father of a family. And uh, I, can, I can picture it now. On Jesus' right was John. It's the disciple who he loved. He was always laying on Jesus. And then his brother, James. And then my brother, Andrew. And I was sitting across from, from uh, John in the position of servant. 
And uh, so there was, that was one group. There was one group, second group, and the third group. That's how Jesus, if you look at that list, it's always listed in this order. So, and that second group was Philip, and then Bartholomew, who was also his name is Nathan, and then uh, Thomas, as you know as Doubting Thomas. He, he was the open skeptic. He's always questioning things. And then next to him was, was Matthew, you know, the tax collector. And then the third group right here was James, son of Alphaeus. And then next to James was uh, Thaddeus. And then Simon the Zealot. He was this radical <laughs> political activist. Like he always had a dagger. We called him Dagger Man because he always had a dagger on him and just had this crazy background. He was totally anti Rome. Every time he talked about politics, he just got all worked up. Yeah, that's that guy right there. And then, and then immediately to Jesus' left was Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. So, so that's the room, right? We're all laying there. And uh, Jesus knew, he knew that the Father had put all things into his power. And he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. He, he was always aware of his identity. Now, when I think back at it, that's why he could sit next to someone who would betray him and still serve him and still love him. We never knew, we never knew who would betray Jesus until the, until the end, until all worked out. When I would look back, how was Jesus able to do that? He's able to serve and sit with, and we could never tell. It's because he knew his identity. So with that, he got up from the meal. Now, mind you, in the Jewish culture, our meals are very well scripted. I mean, we follow, we've been doing this for thousands of years. But this one night, Jesus goes completely off script. And he was sitting here, and he said, John, excuse me for a second, I have to get up. So he pushed John off him, and he got up and he goes into the corner, and he starts to take his clothes off. And he takes off his outer clothing, and then he wraps a towel around his waist that moment my head dropped I'm, I'm laying there and I'm going I know exactly what he's doing one we forgot to book a servant to tend the house because it was customary in our culture to have a servant at the door to wash the feet of everybody who would come in so we're not eating a meal with dirty feet you know in my day when I was alive we didn't have trash people you know what we did with our trash we just threw it on the street can you imagine that? Trash is full. Hey, Andrew, go throw out the trash. And he would just throw it out. Animals, they did their business in the street. And we didn't have closed-toed shoes like you do today. We had open-toed shoes, so our feet were filthy. So filthy. And, and because we had just got done arguing about who's going to be the greatest, nobody wanted to wash each other's feet. And Jesus had never done it before to us, so it was totally unexpected. So after that, he pours water into a basin. And I'm, it was this moment of like, oh man, what were we thinking? I should be doing this, but it was like I was paralyzed, right? Like I didn't know what, what to do, so I, I just watched him. And so Jesus begins to wash all of his disciples' feet. And he starts off with John. And you, and you can imagine, I mean, it's, it's intense. And then after John, John just lets him. And then he goes to James, and he had this special relationship with James. I think it's because Jesus knew James would be the first one to die. 
Like he was the first one. Herod killed James. And so Jesus had this moment of connection. So I'm just watching. He's going around the room, right? He's washing my brother's feet. And then he goes to Philip. And then he, he goes to Nathaniel. And he, he loved Nathaniel as well. He, he, that guy was a true believer. Like always outspoken about his faith. And it's so ironic that he is sitting next to Thomas, the guy that always has to question everything. But Jesus dealt with us all differently. Like, if we notice in, in the ministry, I noticed that when he dealt with people, he never touched people the same. He he'd always did it different. Like this one time he told this tax collector to get out of the tree, and he says, hey, I'm going to your house today. Other times he was, he was, he was tender and gentle and not so pushy. This one time this one gal was actually crying on his feet, and Judas didn't want to waste perfume on her, but he was, it was so wonderful to watch him go around. And so I'm watching him in the room, and he goes, and then he even washes Judas' feet. Now that I think back and I look back at that time, my mind is blown away. Like, how do you wash the feet of someone who you know is going to betray you? And so I, I think he waited for me last. And mind you, this is the longest I've ever gone without saying something. Because when I get nervous, I just start talking. So I think he's done at, at Judas, right? And then he gets up, and I'm sitting over here, remember? And he looks at me, and I look away, and I'm hoping he looks away, but I look back at him, he's still looking at me, and he comes over to me. And I go, here it is, he's, he's gonna wash my feet. But remember, I'm, I'm nervous, so I start talking, right? And he comes to me, and he kneels down, he reaches for my feet, and I, and I ask him, I say, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And then so tender, he looks back at me, and he says, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later on, you'll understand. Jesus always calls things, right? He doesn't say you might, he just says you will. He's kind of the author and perfecter of our faith, so he, he wants to make me understand. He always did. That's what he said. He said, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later on, you'll understand. And I looked around, I thought about it for a second, and I said, no, no, you will never wash my feet. You're my rabbi, you're my Lord. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus, he listens, right? He's a good listener, and he says back to me, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And he used this word, the, that part, you will have no part with me. It's a word that he's used before to refer to rewards in heaven and fellowship. And sort of like a, a relationship with a father and a son. He wasn't talking about we wouldn't have a relationship anymore. He was talking about we wouldn't be on good terms. Now that I think back, at the time, I was, I was so confused. So what did I do? I said, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then he smiles again and he says, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And then he goes, and you are all clean except for one of you which confused us and so I let him wash my feet it was so humbling but he did it and after that he got up he put his clothes back on and then he sat down at his place at the table and he says do you realize what I've done for you you guys call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And then he said, now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. He said, 
I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And he let us chew on that for a little bit, and he saw, he saw that we got it. He saw that it had registered. Because our whole lives, we have been accustomed to the Jewish system. Like, like if you sinned, you needed to go to a priest, and the pre depending on what type of sin was the different type of sacrifice he would bring, and then he would make atonement for the sin. It was just this whole ritual. But Jesus that night was preparing us for something that would completely change. It was a paradigm shift of the way we would do everything, life in the spirit. He is preparing us so that when he would depart, the Holy Spirit would come and live in us and amongst us. And it was a new thing. The temple would become obsolete and it would be this new practice of allowing Jesus to just wash my feet. Not that we would keep needing to take a bath again, which symbolized Jesus and Paul used this word justification, but it would symbolize sanctification, that ongoing being separated and being cleansed and being made holy. And the picture is this. It's, it's so genius, isn't it? Like when we come to faith, when, when Jesus gives us faith and we have saving faith, then that's like the bath. And then we walk outside and then as fast as our feet get dirty, that's as fast as I need to sit down and admit that Jesus, my feet are dirty. I stepped in something again. That, you, you see that picture with me now? Like it didn't make sense when we were sitting at that room and at that table on the floor. But now that I think about it, it's he was getting us ready for new life in the spirit. It was all spiritual. It wasn't literal. I mean, we, we, we actually, this is the first time Jesus had ever done this and you don't read about it anywhere else in scripture. It was, it was an example that he set for us. Jesus was a servant. You know that night, that last 24 hours together, that last 24 hours in that upper room, Jesus mentions the word love 31 times. You think it was important to him? I mean, that whole night was about love. And us not getting it, we, we brought pride in arguing into that room. But Jesus set an example. Here's what you should have been doing. And so he took on the role of a servant. And then he said later on that night, how was the world going to know that you're my disciples? Only if you love one another. So loving one another was the means by which the world it would be our greatest testimony. That's how the world would know that we belong to Jesus. And so that's what he was teaching us. There's so much we learned that night. It changed everything. You know, if we want to be servants, if we want to serve, then we have to let Jesus serve us. The prerequisite to, to serving is that we are served. I don't know who you are or, or why you came in here today, friends, but let me, let me plead with you in this moment. Let him love you. Let him wash you. Jesus requires nothing else of you in this moment but to sit down and to admit that your feet are dirty. This is the prerequisite to, to loving, humble service. It was what we needed. And if Jesus is going to wash your feet, guess where he might do it? 
in front of the community in which he placed you. Jesus never intended for us to operate outside of the body of Christ. No man is an island. No woman is an island. We're in it together. So when we expose and we close out sin, it's done in the midst of community. When we put to death the deeds of the flesh, it's done in the midst of community. It's a beautiful picture. You know something about Jesus? He never resisted the Holy Spirit. It was amazing to watch. Like, I'd be walking with him, and I would think he would be offended at certain people and what they were doing, but he not, he just went with the Spirit. He went with the Spirit, told him to go into the desert. He went into the, he went into the desert. And so that's what we learned. But that night, the main thing was, was love. Becoming love and allowing Jesus to wash my feet. Not to resist him, but to admit, Lord, my feet are dirty. Look, I, I'm married, so I get it. And I'm in full-time ministry. I get the hardships. Like, marriage is miserable when I make it about me. When I, when I remember that night and how I can be humble and die to myself, and I'm free. You know the secret to being free? It's the good news of Jesus Christ that I owe nobody anything and that I'm free to love you and I'm free to love my wife. We, we ended up, both of us, my wife and I, being crucified, totally sold out for Jesus and it was this night that, that marked me forever. So it became a lifestyle. I'd walk out and I stepped in something. Lord, my feet are dirty. And when he said you ought to wash one another's feet, it means we go to each other and receive each other's confessions as well and not judging what we stepped in. It just doesn't matter what you stepped in or received. We did this to one another. We confess sins one to another. John, that Jesus is right, he wrote about this later on in one of his writings. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's referring to foot washing. Friends, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.